welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Thank you for joining us on our kickoff episode. My name is Jay, and I am sitting alongside an icon in the world of 80s wrestling right now, Mr. Tommy Fierro. He's an 80s fan that was able to transition his hobby into something much, much bigger. He has over half a million followers on his social media accounts. He's the mastermind behind 80s Wrestling Con. And when the global pandemic shutdown hit, it shut down in-person events. He successfully transitioned to live virtual events via Facebook. He's the winner of WrestleZone's Best for the Business Award in 2020. And if that wasn't enough, he is set to launch new ventures in 2021. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Mr. Tommy Fierro. Tommy, <laughs> good to have how, you here, brother. How can I possibly live up to that hype that you just gave me, Jay? That was absolutely phenomenal, man. Uh, thank you very much for those very, very, very kind words. I'm far, 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 far from an icon, but uh, I, I appreciate the the, the nice uh, the nice words you have to say about me, man. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy, man. Uh, uh, ever since the pandemic happened, and uh, you know, it, I was in the midst of promoting the third '80s wrestling con, and I know that you were at the first one, Jay. The first one was was awesome, and uh, we were in the midst of right in the middle of promoting the the third one. It was set for April of last year, and uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, I had to obviously postpone it right away in the beginning of March when it first happened. I knew there, you know, obviously there'd been no way to, to uh, do it in April. That's even before the, you know, the, the laws came in place of, you know, prohibiting a certain amount of people being inside of a building at one time. So at the beginning of March, I postponed it to the end of September, thinking that that would be enough time to, you know, reschedule it. Who, who would have known that in the beginning of March, where we have been in September and obviously where we're at now. So I had to figure out something to, uh, to keep going and, and uh, the virtual signing uh, idea I saw and, and, and went with it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more throughout the course of this first episode, but yeah, man, it's been, it's been crazy. It's been awesome. I called you an icon and the truth is you are gaining a level of celebrity status within the <laughs> 80s wrestling community, whether you recognize it or not. And a big part of that is you do these shows in such a way that a virtual signing almost seems more intimate than seeing them in person. I went to your 80s wrestling con. It was a huge success, lines of people. But when you're watching at home on your screen, it's like it's just you and that superstar, and you see them signing these autographs, telling tales of their career, reliving some of the glory days that you remember watching as a kid. So my question to you is, when you had this idea for a virtual signing, did you realize that it would be as successful and as enjoyable for the fans as it has been? No way, man. I'm, I'm, I have to pinch myself sometimes, especially we just had uh, this past Monday, we had the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And the, our, our autograph sessions are three hours um, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, me, me doing live events, I, I figure three hours is more enough time because 
you don't have the opportunity to get the photo ops with the talent. So they're just sitting there and they're, you know, just signing stuff as it's getting handed to them. And of course, you know, you get a shout out as well. So say it's you, Jay, Jay from Minnesota, you know, and, and this is a backstory of, of anyone that's listening right now that doesn't know what a virtual signing is. You go to our website, it's eightieswrestlingcon.com, And there's photos of each wrestler uh, that's going to be there. And you select which photo you want. And then you tune in live during the Facebook live uh, virtual signing and the wrestler will sign your picture, hold it up for you and give you a shout out. And then after the signing's over, we ship your photo out to you. And also if you, you have enough time in advance, you can send in your own items as well. So this past Monday we had Teddy Biasi. There was people sending in the million dollar belt, LJN figures, Hasbro figures, old magazines of programs, t-shirts, hats, so you can also send in your own merchandise to get signed as well. And then you tune in live to the Facebook uh, live and then, you know, he'll sign it for you and give you a shout out. So, yeah, I had no idea, man, that this would blow up to what's blown up to right now. Um, this past week with DiBiase was the biggest one yet. We actually went an hour over uh, the scheduled uh, signing because it was just such a high demand and there were so many orders coming in. And, and for those out there that don't know, Jay actually runs our website, 80s com. So he's on the back end of it. He can see all the orders spinning in. We actually have to shut off. I have to text Jay an hour before the show is over and say, please, <laughs> please shut down the store on, on the website because there's just too many orders coming in. I mean, this is a good thing that you're shutting down the store an hour before the signing is over. Uh, but that just shows you how, 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 how much this is catching on, man. They're, they're absolutely enjoyable is not even the word for a fan. When you're sitting on this side of the screen and you're looking at your computer, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you're watching on, what you see on camera is the superstar that you remember watching as a child. And next to him is your guys' host. You guys have a stand-up comedian named Ryan who does an unbelievable job. He's extremely knowledgeable about wrestling. So yeah, he's, he's, awesome. he's awesome. He's awesome. And while the signings are taking place on the Facebook Live page, there's a chat going on. And you see everybody who's watching. They're throwing in comments and questions for the superstars. The host, Ryan's reading them out loud. People are, are connecting via the chat. So as much as you would think a virtual experience isn't interactive, it's completely the opposite. It's totally interactive. And it's such a fun couple of hours as a fan to forget about the pandemic, to put the stress of the day away, and just to relive some of the highlights of your childhood. You mentioned you just had Ted DiBiase on, probably the largest one you've had to date. We had to shut the store down, like you said. But you have some other amazing superstars lined up for the, uh, the months ahead. Can you just give us a quick rundown of some of the talent that we can uh, look forward to seeing. Yeah, sure, man. So on Monday, January 25th, we have Mike Rotundo, IRS. On February 15th, we have Ron Simmons. On February 22nd, we have the Barbarian and the Warlord, the Powers of Pain. On March 8th, we have Wendy Richter. On March 22nd, it's going to be a doubleheader. We have Cowboy Bob Orton and making his first ever wrestling signing appearance appearance is former WWF announcer Craig DeGeorge first ever appearance he's ever making I've been trying to get him for 
the last two years, actually, uh, he, he does Major League Baseball and hockey announcing. So he's extremely busy, and our schedules just, you know, haven't been able to work out. So, But I finally got him for this one, and he's making his first ever signing appearance. So anyone out there that is a avid collector of wrestling autographs, this might be your only opportunity to ever get him. So I'm looking forward to that one. On April the 26th, we have Stan the Lariat Hansen. On May 10th, we just signed this last night, will be Kent Patera. And then the big one, the big, big ones coming up on Sunday, March the 28th. And actually, uh, it just the uh, ordering info for this just went up on the website. It is Virtual Mania, and it will be Jake the Snake Roberts, the Orient Express, Haku, and Skinner on WrestleMania Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Virtual Mania. Virtual Mania, ladies and gentlemen. So now you can turn WrestleMania Day into an all-day event. Those names that you listed for Virtual Mania and for your Facebook Live signing, that's a who's who of the glory days of wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan, how can you not be excited about seeing these individuals and having a chance to get a piece of merchandise signed by them. Tommy, I don't know how you're so well-connected in the pro wrestling community, but as a fan, I thank you for bringing these superstars back into our lives. Thanks, man. And uh, anyone that wants more information on any of these upcoming virtual signings, you can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com. telling you, if you haven't tried it out yet, you definitely have to. You'll absolutely love it, like Jay was explaining earlier. Just think about 30 years ago when you were a kid sitting at home on your couch watching TV and someone told you 30 years from now, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase is going to be on your screen saying hello to you and signing a picture to you personally. You never would have believed it. So it's just unique opportunities that we're providing fans all around the world. That's the most exciting thing about it. Jay is when I was doing my 80s wrestling cons, the live ones, and here in New Jersey, sure, you'd get people from different states that would travel to it. Like yourself, you came from Minnesota, and I had someone from Mexico come. I, I, people from a bunch of different states come. But just to have the opportunity to have a worldwide reach, whether it be in the United States or whether it be in the United Kingdom, Canada, Mexico, Germany, I mean, we literally have orders from all around the world. And that's what excites me the most is that the reach we have is globally. And uh, it's, it's just it's mind-boggling to me that this has gotten as big as gotten in the last few months. And I'm really excited to see how big it gets in 2021 because even if the pandemic uh, is under control and, you know, things open up and – you can do more things live. I'll never, ever, ever go away from doing the virtual aspect of the signings. It's just, to me, I fell in love with the idea. Anyone in the world can take part of it and be a part of it. And uh, I actually, and we'll talk about this in future episodes, actually registered the domain name ProWrestlingVirtualSignings.com because eventually I'm going to run out of 80s guys. You know, you can bring guys back, but if you already had them, uh, stuff signed already, you know, you, you, you need newer talent. So uh, eventually I'm going to, I'm going to go to the nineties and two thousands as well. 
under that umbrella, ProWrestlingVirtualSignings.com. But uh, there's still a lot of 80 guys left that we haven't done yet, and we'll be doing them this year in 2021. Tommy, that is unbelievably exciting to hear that you're going to keep virtual signings coming, not just for uh, the duration of the pandemic, but uh, going forward into the future and expanding it out of the 80s. There are going to be fans of the 90s and 2000s that are going to be super excited to hear that. Now, you run these virtual signings about twice a month. You're planning virtual mania. You just let out uh, a big announcement that you're going to be doing additional virtual signings. Your to-do list is incredibly long. And if that wasn't all, planning these, organizing these, getting all the merchandise shipped out to people is a full-time job. But on top of that, you are uh, doing some other new ventures in 2021. You have an exciting new website that is just getting ready to launch. By the time people are listening to this, it's going to be live. Tommy, tell us what is happening right now in the year 2021 for you. Well, uh, here in New Jersey, I'm in the middle of getting ready to open up a pro wrestling merchandise store. Uh, It should be open, I would hope, in late February, beginning of March, that area. I'm in the midst of working on it right now. Um, but in the meantime, I wanted to open up the the online store for it. And it actually just, as you listen to this on Friday, it just opened up today. It's thewrestlingcollector.com. Thewrestlingcollector.com. That's going to be the name of the store here also in New Jersey. And we'll talk more about that on the show in the upcoming weeks when I have more information available. Uh, there's, there's not a ton of stuff up on the website right now. It's it's just starting out, but we have some really cool things on there. Um, I want to be a avenue where it's a unique experience for wrestling fans to, uh, order stuff. So what we did on the website and you'll see when you go on there, you can actually be a part of the pro wrestling magazine club where you can have, I mean, who, who didn't love, Wrestling magazines grown by this kid, whether it be the WWF magazine, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestler, Wrestling Eye. I have acquired thousands of old 80s wrestling magazines. I bought so many collections from people over the last few months getting ready for this. I have literally thousands of old 80s magazines, and you can join the Pro Wrestling magazine club and there's different options where you can get a certain amount of magazines shipped to you each month it's gonna be really cool and we're doing an autograph wrestling autograph photo club where you get a random autograph photo mailed to you every month it's someone from either the wwe a wwe hall of famer a wwe alumni someone from wcw or ecw it's someone of provenance and uh, it, it'd be really cool to, you know, just sitting at home and you get your envelope and you, you know, you just open up and see who you have. So that's going to be something unique that we're doing the pro wrestling autograph picture club. And then we're also doing a pro wrestling card club. Remember the old cards from, you know, the eighties, whether it be the tops or the NWA cards or the classic WWF cards in 1990, we're going to be doing a, wrestling card club and we're going to be inserting various autograph cards in certain orders because all these signings are doing every two weeks. I have stacks of cards that I have the guys signed as well. So that's a little spoiler alert for anyone out there that joins this. 
Every time I have a wrestler, I get their cards, they sign them, and then we're going to be inserting these cards in random order. So uh, if you join the club, you have a chance of getting an autographed card. If you join for six months or a year, you're guaranteed autographed cards in there on top of the random ones as well. So we're just working on cool stuff like that. Those are three of the big features we have right now just to get the uh, website up and running. But we're definitely going to be adding more features in the upcoming weeks and months as well. Just a unique experience and a unique way of collecting will take place on the wrestlingcollector.com. Now, I've had the, uh, the opportunity to see some of this stuff behind the scenes. And what I like about what you're offering on the Wrestler Collector is it's a unique combination of extremely cool, rare, unique items that I've never seen anywhere else. You sent me some photos the other day of things that are going on there. And they're signed items by superstars that you don't see on eBay. You don't see other places on the internet. So you have some unique one of a kind type stuff. And then the items you just talked about subscription based collecting every month, you get something delivered into your mailbox. It's, it's the surprise. It's the excitement of seeing the mailman running down to the corner to meet him, grabbing your package, bring it inside the house, opening it up and seeing who you have. It's an exciting way of collecting that brings you back to your childhood when you had those monthly subscriptions to your favorite magazine. Or maybe if you didn't have a subscription, you'd go to the store and you'd see the new magazine sitting on the newsstand and you couldn't wait to get your hands on it. So you bring it, you're bringing back some of the excitement that we felt growing up with our love of wrestling and you're adding unique, cool collectibles to add to anybody's memorabilia. So Tommy, from what I've seen, it's outstanding. I wish you a ton of success and we look so forward to your store opening up in New Jersey this spring. Thanks, man. Let's, let's, let's get into the, the, the man of the hour now. So on top of everything else you're doing, we're starting a podcast here, 80s Wrestling, the podcast, where each and every week we will sit down and we will talk about an aspect of the glory days of professional wrestling in the 1980s. And for the first show, we thought about doing the big one, talking about Hulk Hogan and his greatest feuds throughout the 1980s. And there were a bunch of them, and they were all great. And before we jump into it, I just want to start by saying, I don't know if fans of today's wrestling truly understand what Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania meant to professional wrestling and to wrestling fans in the 1980s. You could argue that during the 80s run, Hogan at times was bigger than wrestling himself. If it wasn't for the charismatic frontman, would there be the WWE universe that there is today? You just don't know. Hulk Hogan was the face of professional wrestling in the 80s. If you were a child growing up in that era and you liked professional wrestling, you lived and died with Hulk Hogan's feuds and his matches. If you were a basketball fan, you had Bird, Magic, Jordan. But if you were a wrestling fan, Hogan was your guy. And today we're going to break down some of his greatest feuds through the glory days of professional wrestling. And when Tommy called me and we were talking about today's show, he said, look, Jay, we're going to do it like they did in the old days. We're going to call it live <laughs> inside the ring. So Tommy and I have not shared our notes. We don't know what feud the other person is going to bring up. 
We're just going to get into the conversation and see where it goes. So, Tommy, ring general, I'll have you take the lead. Tell me what's one of your top. They don't have to go in order. If you have them in order, that's great, too. But tell me what's one of the feuds you want to discuss of Hogan's in the 80s. Well, first, I like how you did that voice when I when I called you. It sounded just like that, right? Let me tell you something, Jay. We're going to call it in the ring, dude. <laughs> I'll I tell you what, man. It, you know, when I sat down this morning uh, prepping for this uh, podcast and, and thinking about some of Hulk Hogan's biggest feuds, I mean, I'm I'm probably 99.999% sure that we have the same ones written down. But to just pinpoint which one was the best, that's that's the hard thing to do because, man, Hulk Hogan had so many unbelievable, unforgettable feuds in the 1980s. Um, it, it's hard to point to which one was, was the most successful, which one was the greatest. Obviously, we're all thinking, you know, him and Andre the Giant. You're thinking him and Macho Man Randy Savage. You know, you, you probably think of those two first when you're thinking Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, and Andre the Giant. But the the one I want to get into first and which one I think was the most important feud uh, to launch the WWF was his feud with Rowdy Roddy Piper. I don't think that feud gets enough credit. I don't think uh, Piper gets enough credit for uh, making the WWF such a household name during that time. It was the whole rock and wrestling connection era. It was going leading into WrestleMania one, man, if Roddy wasn't so good at his job, I don't know if Hulk Hogan would have been as popular as he was because, I mean, Piper was the perfect, perfect opponent for Hulk Hogan to go against. And I just don't think that that feud or Piper gets enough credit. What do you think, Jay? Well, I like where you're headed. Every, every feud you listed is one that needs to be talked about. And you're starting off with one of the greatest of all time, Hogan Piper. When it comes to professional wrestling, we all know that the success, of the good guy, the success of the baby face depends on the strength of the heel that they're going against. And in the early 80s, there was no heel more over than Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, when you look at them physically, he wasn't a huge physical threat to Hulk Hogan, but that's not where Piper's strength was. He had the mouth. He could talk. He would cut promos. Uh, he would get underneath the skin of Hulk Hogan. He would poke and he would prod until everybody wanted to see him get beat. And what I think is the most beautiful part of that feud is that Hogan never got a clean pin victory over Piper. So to this day, he seems to be the one heel that got away from Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Did it, did it, didn't he beat Piper in WCW or it never did? We're not talking WCW. We're talking the glory oh, yeah. days. He never did in WWF, no. Never did in WWF. Knowing Hogan, he probably did get his, his uh, victory over Piper in, in later years. But in that early run, when we're talking WrestleMania 1 and around that time, he never got the clean one, two, three victory uh, over Piper. And if it wasn't for Piper, who knows if WrestleMania 
would have been the success that it was. That first year, Vince McMahon bet the farm on, and it needed to succeed. And yes, you had Hogan. Yes, you had Mr. T driving the celebrity side of it, but you needed the villain. And Rowdy Piper was, was a perfect guy to come along and fill that spot. Jay, you just brought up a great, great point. Uh, Piper helped sell that WrestleMania, uh, the initial one, just as much as Hogan did, just as much. That's why I, I don't think when, when, when people are listing their top superstars of the 80s, a lot of times if someone's saying the top five guys or the top ten guys, there's times where I don't see Piper on that list. I just shake my head. It bottles my mind uh, because Piper, man, was such a huge, huge part of – the launch of WWF in 1985. And uh, just to get off topic for just a second, another person that had such a huge impact on the launch of WWF in 1985 is Cindy Lauper, because, you know, she brought so many new eyes to the product right in that time frame when they were launching the first WrestleMania. And the fact that she's not in the hall of fame is just, that's just boggles my mind that she's not in the Hall of Fame when you have guys like Drew Carey and these other people in there and then she's not in there man she was such a major 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 factor in the popularity of the WWF back in that time and uh, her connection with Wendy Richter who we have uh, doing a virtual signing on March the 8th I mean she just she was equally as important as those guys uh, to, to get eyes on the product at that time you're absolutely right, Tom. And I think bringing her into the conversation when you're talking about the feud with Piper, it fits perfectly. Because one of the things Piper did was he went, out of, he went after Hogan's friends, you know, the other faces in the company, the other good guys. He went after Superfly Snooka, Junkyard Dog, Andre the Giant, and even went after Cyndi Lauper. And when you think about the rock and wrestling connection, uh, the Hogan cartoon where Piper played the main uh, cartoon villain in that. That all is around that same time period. And it all has to do with Cyndi Lauper, that rock and wrestling connection. And I think that's part of what made that feud so big is it, it left the, uh, the corners of the wrestling world and it transitioned to mainstream pop culture thanks to that connection. And so she's a, definitely a big part of Hogan's feud with Rowdy Piper. Definitely. And I guess this is a good lead way into the Hulk Hogan, Andre, the giant feud. Um, I mean, man, what an amazing story that they told there. I don't want to fast forward a little bit, but I want to go right to the Piper's pit when Andre, the giant ripped off Hulk Hogan's shirt and cross and Hogan's down on one knee and Piper in a very, very, very low voice says, you're bleeding. That right there, those two words sold that whole storyline. And Piper, who was such a, 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 a villain of Hulk Hogan for that time, now is concerned and showing compassion for Hulk Hogan, whose best friend just turned on him and tell him, you're bleeding. I mean, that right there, knowing that the history they had previous. Piper showing compassion for Hogan, telling him that, that really sold the story, man. It added that feel of realism to it. Like you said, they were, they were, they were foes, but he showed concern. He was shocked. He showed concern to what was going on to Hulk Hogan. And you're right. It sold the angle. Um, 
we'll have to talk about Piper's pit at some point on this podcast because the angles they ran on there and the way Piper uh, conducted himself on there sold a lot of angles. Now, the, the Hogan Giant feud, many would consider to be the most iconic feud in the history of the WWF. Andre was the one man physically, physically, who was the most believable opponent for Hulk Hogan. Much larger, arguably stronger, immobile. He was the one guy that as a kid you looked at and said, oh my word, this might be the guy who's going to beat Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being a kid, I was scared. I thought Hulk Hogan was going to lose. I'm sure you did. I'm sure everybody at home did. Um, what a story they told, though. That's what's so different about wrestling today than from the 1980s is that they just took their time and told the story. And I don't want to stray away and talk about current wrestling, um, but it, that's what makes the 80s so popular. It makes the 80s so uh, different and unique is that it was just such so different then. They, they, they would take their time. They would build something up for months before they gave someone something, you know. Uh, nowadays, over the last several years, you'll see, you know, the day before WrestleMania, the, the Raw before WrestleMania, you know, whoever's in the top two matches, you'd have those guys, the babyfaces team up against the Hills. And that's like the WrestleMania preview. Can you imagine WrestleMania, let's say there was a Raw back then, and the WrestleMania before Wrestle, I mean the Raw before WrestleMania three, you had Hulk Hogan team up with Ricky Steamboat against Andre the Giant and the Macho Man. Man, you would never ever ever see anything like that. You, they, those guys wouldn't touch leading up to to the big match of the year. So I, I think that is a, a big factor. Also, what's so different from today's wrestling to back then is like they just took the time back then. You know, they, they would have a story last for six months, sometimes a year, you know, and, and now they just blow it off so quickly. But you would never see that back then. That's what made that so special and so unique is that they told they took their time and they told a story. And, you know, slowly they would drop hints here and there what's going on. And uh, and that's for every Hogan feud. That was what his feud with uh, Macho Man and Speed with Paul Orndorff, which I'm sure we're going to get into, is they just told a great story. And it was such cliffhanger endings that you'd have to tune in the next week or the next month to find out what's going to happen next. That's another thing that I think is wrong with today's wrestling is that when a raw goes off the air or a SmackDown goes off the air, there's no element. There's no cliffhanger. There's nothing that has you sitting at the edge of your chair saying, man, I cannot wait to tune in next Monday night. I cannot wait to tune in next Friday night to see what's going to happen next. Like that's why, you know, some of the most popular and successful TV shows out there or series on Netflix are so popular is that the, the, the writing and the storylines are just so phenomenal on it. Like, I, I hate to say this, but me and my wife, we just started watching Cobra Kai last week. Um, we're done with all three seasons now. We, we binge watched it in a week, but I just kept reading all the hype on it, all the hype on it. Finally, I watched it. But the point I want to make is, is that when an, ep- an episode ends, it's, there's such cliffhanger endings that you just can't wait to watch the next episode. I, 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 we can't wait to tomorrow, I told my wife. It was like 11 o'clock. We have to watch one more because <laughs> we want to see what happens next. And that's what's missing from wrestling today. Because even back in the Attitude Era in the 90s, you know, you'd have those cliffhanger, uh, cliffhanger endings where, you know, Stone Cold will do something so bad to Macho Man. I'm not Macho Man. to Vince McMahon. 
and see, I got 80s on my mind. I'm trying to talk 90s. Stone Cold would do something so bad to Vince McMahon that there's no way that someone can get away with doing that to their boss. So they'd have to tune in next Monday to see what's going to happen next. And that's just missing from today's wrestling. And it was so big back then in the 80s where you'd have to tune in next week and the next month and next pay-per-view to see what's going to happen next. And they always did a great job telling that story. Sorry that I got off track, but hopefully what I said made sense. It made complete sense. And I agree with you. And I'm sure a lot of people listening agree with you as to what makes the golden age of wrestling, even what makes the nineties superior to today's product. Listen, storytelling matters. It just does. You have to get people invested in the storytelling. So there's a reason for them to want to come back and to want to tune in. And storytelling in professional wrestling was at its peak in the 1980s. And as you look at the Hogan feuds, a common thread in the storytelling is they would take a friend of Hogan and they would slowly cause a rift, slowly insert some antagonistic angle, jealousy, greed, and they would slowly take that friend and turn him into a foe. And like you said, it might be a six month or it might be a year long process, but they would drop hints and you would notice and you would want to watch and you'd keep an eye and then you would see the turn. And then they had you hook, line and sinker with Andre going back to that feud on Piper's pit. They presented Hogan with a trophy for being the champ for three consecutive years. Then the next week on Piper's pit, they presented Andre with a trophy for being undefeated. And his trophy was slightly smaller than Hogan's. A little bit of jealousy, a little bit of greed. Started the rift. Storytelling. It's at the center of it, and that's what we as wrestling fans love, the storytelling. When we talk about Hogan's storytelling where they take a friend and they turn him to foe, one of the first ones that pop into my mind is the one that I know holds a special heart, a spot in your heart, Tommy, and that is Hogan and Paul Orndorff. Can we talk about that with you? Oh yeah, that's and we we've talked about this previously off the air, Jay. This is my all-time favorite angle ever uh, of Hulk Hogan when having one of his friends turn on him. And and you just made a great point, by the way, Jay. Is is that's what that's what made Hogan so much money back then. Is just that they kept using the same formula over and over again. And it, it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly with Andre. It worked perfectly with uh, Savage. It worked perfectly with Orndorff. Um, yeah, storytelling, man, big time. But yeah, that one, I, I actually, I told you this, I remember where I was at when this happened. I was sitting on the couch at my aunt's house in West Milford, New Jersey. I was a little kid. It was, it was a barbecue or some kind of party. Everyone was outside. I was inside the house by myself, and it was Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff against Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy. Anyone that's an 80s fan knows the build up behind it. And I was absolutely shocked when Paul Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan and went with the Heenan family. And I just felt like my whole world just went on pause because I'm in there by myself and just, I was just, I just couldn't believe it. What happened? I couldn't believe that Paul Orndorff would do that to Hulk Hogan and that just goes to show how great the storytelling. Well, they built that up for weeks, weeks, and they did such a great job doing that. 
and um, who can forget their classic steel cage match on Saturday night's main event where they both, uh, their feet both hit the floor at the same time. And they just had some, and then the big event in Canada, they had some classic matches and uh, that feud, I just think was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal feud. And like you said, the reason is, as you were watching it, you were shocked. You, you couldn't believe what was happening because up to that point, Hogan and Orndorff, they were friends. They were teaming with each other. And then all of a sudden, things started to shift gears, and there's that, uh, there's that clip where Mr. Wonderful is trying to get a hold of Hogan, but Hogan can't take the phone call because he's too busy working, working out. And it doesn't sit right with Orndorff, and it causes a little bit of a rift. And then there's some jealousy about who's getting bigger cheers and who's the, the leader of the team. And then, like you said, the turn, which you didn't see coming. And then the feud that came after Jay, Jay, Kind of like how you didn't take my call the other day. I don't think I forgot about that, by the way. Listen, dude, I was downstairs hanging and banging, moving the weight, brother. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, just the, the little, the chippiness. And then all of a sudden the feuds. And like you said, they had a match in Toronto. It was outdoors. They drew like 61,000 fans. Like people could not believe what had happened and they wanted to watch it. And that's, that's how a successful feud is supposed to be. You're supposed to build it up, build the excitement, and then the payoffs at the end when you have your matches. Absolutely. And I think that, and this is a good segue into this, is if we're talking about Hulk Hogan's greatest rivals in the 1980s, believe it or not, at the top of that list has to be Bobby the Brain Heenan, because it was Bobby Heenan that got Andre to turn. It was Bobby Heenan that got Orndorff to turn. Bobby Heenan was such a thorn in Hulk Hogan's side in the 80s. He is a huge part, huge, huge, huge part, and I don't think he gets enough credit for the success of Hulk Hogan. He was, like you said, he's the, he's the head of the Heenan family. He would be the guy that would bring the biggest guys over to his side to try to defeat Hulkamania, Andre the Giant, Paul Orndorff. He was the guy that would get into their heads and make them turn. There's some great promos where Hogan is saying, Heenan got to you. I know Heenan got to you. Because you're right. Heenan was the antagonist to Hulk Hogan in a lot of the feuds. He was the mouthpiece. He was the brain behind the operation. Man, what a weasel. Can you, first of all, Hogan, during that time frame, he never should have been a heel. I think it it never would have, I mean, it would have been huge that he turned heel, but they would have lost so much money from the merchandise. But can you just, I'm just, this is just fantasy booking. Can you imagine at some point if Hulk Hogan, in the prime of his popularity, turned heel and went with Bobby Heenan? Can you imagine a heat? That would have had, and the heat that would have generated. They would have lost a lot of money. I must say they should have done that. They definitely shouldn't have. But can you just imagine the heat that would have generated? You talk like about shock. Heenan got the Hogan's head. That would have been. It would have been a beautiful storyline. Talk about shockwaves. But like you said, Hogan was the the guy pushing the product sales. He was the guy bringing in the viewership. And the other problem is, if you would have turned him, not only would you have lost all that merchandise and all that money. But who's the face that's going to go against an evil Hulk Hogan in the 80s? I just don't think you, I don't think you had somebody that could have 
turned him back to the good side or been, or been a good feud for him the opposite way. I think that's why Heenan to take other faces and turn him against Hogan. But I like what you're thinking. Fantasy booking-wise, that, that would have been high ratings the day that he jumped ship to the Heenan family. Absolutely. I guess, I guess let's talk about next probably the most, maybe the most famous Hulk Hogan feud of the 1980s. Um, besides Andre is his feud with the macho man, Randy Savage. I mean, talk about storytelling, talk about, whew, I, I can't even begin to even wrap my head around what a tremendous, unbelievable job, timing, pacing, storytelling they did with that feud. Absolutely phenomenal. If we're going off personal opinions, this is my favorite storyline in the history yeah, of pro wrestling. Yeah, it's it's got to be up there. It's definitely got to be up there, man. Uh, they did such a great job. Talk about we're talking about sometimes you know take six months to a year. They they easily did that easy year uh, to to build that up. You know when Savage won the title in the tournament in WrestleMania four. Shortly after that is when you know you get little. You know, little snippets here and there of there being some little, some little part of Hulk Hogan either looking at Elizabeth the wrong way or Savage would just glare at him for one second, but then you would forget about it for a month or two. And they would never go back to it again. But then a couple months later, they would drop another hit and just talk about perfect storytelling. They really, this is the perfect example of building something up for one year. Savage and Hogan, man. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And the storytelling actually, in my opinion, starts before the storytelling even started. Because you had Savage, who was a heel. But people slowly started to dig what he was doing, and he started to cheer him. And so first, they had to turn Savage to a face. And they did that uh, by having him get beat down by some other people and have Miss Elizabeth run and bring Hogan in to help do the save. And so that, that official turn uh, to face crowd cheering for, for Savage. And then, yeah, then you slowly build the friendship between Hogan and Savage. You establish a friendship, you establish the mega powers and then the slow burn on the descent when, uh, you know, Savage gets a little jealous. Like you said, the looks, the points, the physical contact, slow storytelling, but you sense it was there. And this is a time in wrestling when kayfabe is still alive and well. And so we're buying completely into what's going on. We all know Savage seems a little unstable to begin with. And so anything he does to kind of sell his side of it, you believe 100%. And you're trying to side with Hogan, but you don't want them to break up. So each time there's a little rift and Miss Elizabeth is able to, to repair it, you breathe a sigh of relief and you think this mega power team is just going to keep going. But week by week, little by little, it starts tearing it apart. And then when it explodes on, was it uh, Saturday's main event or just the main event when they're going against the Twin Towers, Akeem and Bossman, that episode of that show is one of my top favorite wrestling clips to watch uh, when Miss Elizabeth takes the bump and goes to the back with Hogan and Savage is left. Just beautiful storytelling. I'm getting excited just talking about it. I'll have to go back and watch it after the show, but beautiful storytelling from beginning to end on that one. No doubt. 
Oh man, big time because they did such a they at, at that point, man. They they were dropping so many hints that something was going to happen, but then, like I said, they they get away from it for a week or a month, and you you someone somehow forget about it, but it's in the back of your head still. But that one, man, is when when everything went down when Hogan carried Elizabeth to the back, and he's asked for a doctor to check on her, and and then the Macho Man attacks Hogan. When he's standing over a Elizabeth, man, that's when, excuse my language, when shit hit the fan, when that happened. And then, uh, I mean, Hogan and Savage at WrestleMania, man, that's probably my, probably my favorite Hulk Hogan match at WrestleMania was Tim and Savage at WrestleMania 5. Uh, but, man, yeah, that's got to be one of the most iconic angles, if not the most iconic angle ever in uh, Hulk Hogan in the WWF, even even maybe more so than Andre, which is which is really 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 stretching it, but it was really that good, man. Well, I think what was different about the Savage one than the Andre one is Andre was a great physical opponent for Hulk Hogan. He had the size, he had the strength. Savage was undersized as a Hogan opponent, but the intensity, you know, the passion that fueled the feud, an insane jealousy in that man. Like, you believe that he had a chance of going over on Hogan just because he seemed to be so upset, so angry about what was taking place, that the rage is what was going to beat Hulk Hogan. So the feud itself, looking at the matchup physically, didn't seem as good of a matchup as Andre. But when you factor in the, the history the nature of Randy Savage, the intensity, like it was a great feud. Uh, and that WrestleMania main event was, was awesome. I agree. Yeah, man. And I mean, there's just so many names out there that, that had, you know, feuds with Hulk Hogan during that time frame. Some were obviously shorter than others. Um, one of them, one, another one that stands out to me, not that it was a long feud, but it one that I remember as a kid is Zeus. Uh, as you know, he was in the movie with Hulk Hogan, No Holds Barred, and the movie aired before, uh, and the movie played in the theaters before Zeus came to the WWF. So being a kid at home, and you're sitting there, and you see Zeus show up to the WWF, man, I was scared as a kid, because I remember him from that movie, now he's in the WWF, he's coming after Hulk Hogan. I was legit scared for Hulk Hogan as a kid when Zeus came to the And I was scared of Zeus when he came to the WWF. I don't know anybody that wouldn't have been scared of Zeus when they saw him. What a beautiful uh, crossover from their motion picture to the world of wrestling. And yeah, you believed that he was there to do some damage. And they teamed him with Savage. So it added that aspect of bringing that feud back as well. Like Savage went out and got this monster this wrecking machine to come take care of hogan uh as a fan as a kid yeah you bought in and you were scared again that this might be the man to beat hulk hogan um great crossover from the film to wrestling um good promotion on the backside by vince mcmahon to see that crossover but yeah when you saw zeus and how intimidating he looked and how big he was, and how powerful he was, and how crazy he was. It, it was a nice, like you said, short-lived, but it was a nice little feud to plug in there for sure. Sure, man. definitely. I was actually there live for that when it was Savage and Zeus against Hogan and Beefcake. 
That was SummerSlam 89. It was at the Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I was there live for it as a kid, man. I loved it. It was awesome. That's unbelievable. Uh, another, another, huh? I'm sorry, go ahead. That's unbelievable that you were there. What a what an awesome thing to be at. Yeah, man. It, it was it was really cool. Uh another another name that I mean there's there's several names. Another name is King Kong Bundy. Uh he was in the main event of WrestleMania two against Hulk Hogan. And I'm sure that you're thinking the same thing, and I'm sure people listening to this are, are thinking the same thing. How isn't King Kong Bundy in the WWE Hall of Fame? He headlined, main evented WrestleMania two in a steel cage match against Hulk Hogan, and he's not in the WWF Hall of Fame. Uh, that that just that's just mind boggling. Yeah, it doesn't make sense when you when you think about the role that he played uh, in that early part of getting WrestleMania off the ground. Cause like you said, WrestleMania two, like this was the one that followed the original and it needed to be big. And so they got a big nasty heel to face Hogan in a cage. Uh, and Bundy went on to have, you know, good feuds throughout the eighties. He was back in for some of the nineties. Uh, and so, yeah, it is interesting that his name has not come up in the hall of fame yet. There has to be something behind the scenes that's preventing him to be there, obviously. Some, same thing like with Demolition, how they're not in the Hall of Fame, which is mind-boggling. One of the, the biggest teams ever in history of professional wrestling. Um, but yeah, Bunsen Hogan was another really good one. And who can forget on Saturday night's main event when uh, Dom Rockno held Hulk Hogan's arms together in the corner and Bundy gave him the big avalanche and uh, Hogan's ribs were taped up. And again, that was Bobby Heenan behind, behind Bundy as well. That was pretty uh, – Bundy was a great opponent for Hogan, man. Hogan always did good against big opponents, big guys, because it gave you that idea that, yeah, he could do some damage. He could break some ribs. He could injure Hulk Hogan enough that maybe uh, the Bobby Heenan family could get the win. Uh, and get the title off of Hogan. So, no, he was a great opponent. But every time you bring it up, you're right, man. The greatest uh, feud of Hogan in the 80s might be Heenan. Every name we're bringing up is tied to Bobby Heenan in some fashion. Uh, and so that is an interesting interesting way to look at it. Bobby Heenan might have been Hogan's greatest opponent in the 80s. Yeah, and if you're thinking off the top of your head, before people started listening to this episode, Hulk Hogan's greatest 80s feuds, I, originally, I wasn't even thinking Heenan. I was thinking Savage. I was thinking Piper. I was thinking Andre. But, man, Bobby Heenan played such a major factor and role in Hulk Hogan's popularity in the 80s because he was always going after Hogan. And Hogan was, you know, he was taking, he was feeding them all off, whether it had been Bundy or Stud or Hercules or Harley Race or whoever it may be that Heenan was managing at the time, you know, he was always going after Hogan. Another name that we didn't mention, well, a couple names we haven't mentioned yet, Big Boss Man and Earthquake, two other uh, big men that were opponents for Hogan during that time frame. I'm always a big fan of Hogan going against the oversized, somewhat not out of shape, but just not the muscular build, but just kind of the big guy, like the Bundy like Boss Man, like Earthquake, just this bigger guy that, that, again, plants that seed that, yeah, this could be the guy. And both of those guys that you mentioned, Boss Man and Earthquake, they played that role beautifully. They were the big guy 
do some damage, but they could also sell. And so when they got to that payoff match with Hogan and they would get the upper hand and then Hogan would hulk up and then start, you know, coming back to his finisher, they could bump and they could move and they could sell that body slam. Just beautiful in-ring storytelling. We've been talking about storytelling and storylines, but the match itself, good storytelling when Hogan faces uh, a bigger guy. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And uh, one guy we haven't mentioned him because he really didn't have a feud with Hogan, but had one of Hogan's biggest high-profile matches ever against in the WWF is the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, uh, you talk about Hogan's greatest uh, feuds. It wasn't really a feud. It was just that one match. But, man, that match had to be one of Hogan's biggest matches ever in the WWF. I love the matchup between Hogan and the warrior we've talked uh, uh, outside of this off air that uh, the buildup to that one was well done. Uh, also, it didn't have the long buildup that the savage feud had, but they planted seeds in the Royal rumble. Uh, they planted glances, you know, they would team up, then they'd look at each other. And so there was a buildup that had you emotionally invested in that feud as well. From a fan, that's the first feud I remember where it was two baby faces, two good guys going head to head. I remember being torn as a fan, uh, but make no mistakes about it. My legions was with Hogan. I was a Hulkamania through and through. I could ask you, Tommy, where your allegiance was at WrestleMania 6, but I think uh, I know the answer. But if you want to share it with everyone, you can go right ahead. Yeah, I'm a turncoat. I'm a turncoat. I remember as a kid that match, and I was behind the Ultimate Warrior. And looking back at it now, I, I kind of feel bad because I was such a Hulkamaniac growing up. But there was just something about Ultimate Warrior. That I wanted to see him beat Hulk Hogan. And, man, what an epic, epic match that was. And when Ultimate Warrior didn't win that match, and I told you this before previously, I ran outside and ran up and down my street celebrating with friends in the neighborhood when Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6 to become the new champion. But uh, what a match, man, those guys had. Uh, what a WrestleMania moment. And I, I, I really wish we would have saw a rematch of those two in the WWF. I know years and years later we got one in WCW and it was absolutely rotten. But uh, how much money they would have made doing a rematch with those two guys at WWF, uh, whether it had been at WrestleMania 7 or uh, even down the line at, you know, SummerSlam or Survivor Series. But uh, that was such a huge missed opportunity, in my opinion, uh, doing a rematch with those guys because I think it would have been bigger than the first one. You know, people make the point that the Warriors' in-ring work wasn't great. And would he have worked in the current scheme of professional wrestling? Probably not. But his character and his intensity was perfect for the time that he was there. They did a beautiful job marketing his strengths, playing down his weaknesses. And that match with Hogan at WrestleMania might be the Warriors' greatest match during his run uh, with the company. He had other amazing feuds with Ravishing Rick Rude. But that match with Hogan, it was beautifully done. Not only was 
the excitement on the fans in there from bell to bell. Not only did you not know, for real, not know who was going to win that match, so you were on the edge of your seat. But, man, the Warriors' intensity, his music, his neon colors, like he was the perfect character for the 1980s. He he embodied what the 1980s was about. And so when you had that, and the fans behind him, I can totally see why Vince chose to try to pass the torch to him. Would a rematch have been amazing? Absolutely. I think people would have been lined up at the door to see that. The man that cleanly beat Hulk Hogan, to see Hulk Hogan get his rematch, his chance to, to steal back that victory, I think that could have been bigger than, than the first match. Oh, yeah, and, and we were talking earlier about, hypothetically speaking, if Hogan ever turned heel, who, who, who would be the guy that him to go against? That, if there was ever an opportunity to turn Hulk Hogan heel during his run in the WWF, that would have been the opportunity. That would have been the guy. Because can you imagine, Jay, how they ended it? Remember they ended it with Hulk Hogan handing the belt over to Warrior, and that was the ending of the show, and what a phenomenal ending it was. Can you imagine him handing him that belt and then kicking him in the balls and then taking off? Can you imagine the heat that would have generated? They would have been off to the races at that point, having Hogan as a heel, doing that to Warrior. Again, I don't think that they should ever turn Hogan heel in the WWF, but if there was ever an opportunity to do it, that would have been the perfect opportunity to do it because him doing that and then them coming back can you imagine, and back then, still cage matches were still special. They still meant something. Can you imagine bringing that back, Hogan and Warrior in a cage, where, you know, Warrior's trying to get his revenge from what Hogan did to him? Man, they, they could have made so much money. Uh, but they, I mean, even if they would have had a rematch, they would have made so much money. But can you imagine if Hogan would have, would have, would have kicked him in the balls after he handed Warrior the belt? Man, that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. I kind of feel like maybe Hogan mentioned something about that in an interview once, that that was talked about as a chance to turn heel, and then they thought it would never work, and so they moved on. But you're right. If he would have turned heel on the Warrior then, oh, my goodness. They could have had big business uh, for the next year and headlined uh, the the future WrestleMania for sure. That would have been the time to do it. Um, Yeah, who knows? I know Hogan was probably leaving to work on his Hollywood career or do something else that he wasn't going to be there full time until they didn't think it would work, but that would have been the time. And that would have definitely been interesting. Uh, Tommy, as we, as we continue to talk and we're winding down, I want to just throw out a couple of my honorable mentions. They weren't big feuds, but they were people that I just loved seeing Hogan go again. So I'm going to say two names you can tell me your thoughts on them. And then I'd like to experiment and try a little game with you uh, involving Hulk Hogan and his feuds from the 80s. But first, the two names I'm thinking about, I loved seeing Hogan go up against Mr. Perfect and the Genius. Those two guys, when they would have their matches with Hogan, I loved it. What do you think about Perfect and Genius as opponents for Hogan? Loved it. Loved every second of it. And uh, I, I would have loved that saw Mr. Perfect as the WWF champion, man. He he was, I mean, I don't tell you guys, you guys all know he was that good. But yeah, the genius was just great. The time him and Hogan had the match on Saturday night's main event, uh, Papo played that part tremendously. And uh, I liked Perfect with uh, with the genius. And yeah, man, that, they they had some great matches, definitely. 
I wish I wish they I wish they would have done a longer feud. You know, they had a couple of matches here and there, but I wish Perfect would have had the long run against Hogan. That would have been great. I think he deserved it. I think he should have. Uh, the feud was uh, the matches were so entertaining because again, from a physical standpoint, you don't think a guy like the genius is going to be any competition for Hogan, but the way he played it, the way he pranced around the ring, the things they would do to get under Hogan's skin. Um, and I think he actually got the win over Hogan via, via count out on Saturday night's main event. So he scored a win uh, over Hulk Hogan, just beautifully done. Uh, not a huge main event type feud, but just enough to entertain the fans and keep things interesting. And then when perfect stole Hogan's title and smashed it in the back, I mean, just beautiful stuff that uh, as a fan, you can just really get behind and you probably appreciate more now looking back than you did when you were a kid watching it through a kid's lenses. Um, but beautiful storytelling. Before I jump to my game, Tommy, any honorable mentions or names we didn't bring up that you think uh, highlighted Hogan's career in the 80s? Oh, definitely. Um, it wasn't, well, it wasn't the 80s. It was the early 90s, but it was still one of Hogan's biggest WrestleMania matches. WrestleMania 7, man, against Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, when Slaughter turned on the USA and, you know, Hogan came to the rescue. I mean, that right there was another iconic match moment in WrestleMania, WrestleMania memory is uh, him and Sergeant Slaughter from WrestleMania 7. Listen, I'm a huge Slaughter guy. He's a Minnesota boy. I'm a Minnesota boy. And so not that I was cheering for him by any means at that time in his career, but it was fun to see him get a main event spot because Slaughter, huge in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, and then to come back in the 90s and headline WrestleMania as arguably one of the most hated villains. I mean, you talk about hated people, you know, there are stories about death threats and, and things that Slaughter would have to do where bulletproof vests to the ring and things like that. The heat that was on him. I mean, his life must have been turned upside down during that time period. But to see Hogan recapture the belt not just for himself but for america again storytelling it it comes down to storytelling tommy that's what we need in professional wrestling absolutely and 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 a couple before we 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 sign off a couple missed opportunities for feuds for hulk hogan in the 80s um that would have been big and the one that comes right off the top of my head is jake the snake roberts uh when he was the hill man that would have been such an awesome feud between him and Hogan and another one, another unbelievable hail, one of the greatest ever ravishing Rick rude. Uh, that's two feuds right there. That could have been big ones that they just, they never happened. It was Ho- it was Hogan against uh, rude and Hogan against Jake Roberts. You're right. And I, I've heard stories that they were considering a Jake Hogan feud and then it didn't happen. I don't know if they were ever considering a rude uh, Hogan feud, but Ravishing Rick Rude, such a talent. If if anyone deserved uh, a title run and didn't get it, he's definitely one of those guys that could have held uh, the main belt at some point in his career and done pretty well with it. Uh, Jake's another guy who never got, you know, the awards or the accolades during his career, no title runs. And you can make the argument that neither needed the belt to be good at what they did, but it would have been a nice, uh, nice thing to add to their career. Absolutely. All right, Tommy, before we sign off, I did go ahead and I preloaded some audio clips from various Hulk Hogan promos from the 80s. 
They're about 30 seconds each. And what I've done is I've taken clips that don't include who his opponent is. So you won't hear okay. names to know who he's cutting the promo on. I'm going to play each one, one at a time. And I want you to see if you can guess which feud the promo is from. Uh, you're, trying, you? you're, trying, you're trying to stump me here, huh? Listen, when I have a chance to sit down with Mr. 80s Wrestling Encyclopedia, I got to <laughs> see if I can stump him. And so I'm going to play these clips. Maybe you'll go five for five. Maybe you won't, but we're going to find out. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. All right, here comes the first Hulk Hogan promo from the 80s. You sold out, man. You swore to me you never take shortcuts. You took the biggest shortcut of your life. You were on the bird to greatness, man. You had a whole generation of little hucksters training with you, man. Saying prayers with you, dude. Eating their vitamins with you, man. You sold them out. You didn't sell me out, brother, because you can't take me. I took your best shot, man, when I was down. Now I'm going to return that favor. Who sold out? Who is Hulk Hogan cutting that promo against? Tommy, do you have any idea? Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. That is correct. <laughs> well, I, I like Fierro. how you had that keyed in. <laughs> Tommy Fierro, one for one. Uh, name, <laughs> that, uh, name that feud. You're doing awesome, man. Are you ready for number two? I'm ready. Here we go. When I saw him with Heenan, you're right, man. I knew it changed. I, when, when he was Heenan, I knew he was... A different man. I knew he had it got to him. I knew something was different. We used to fight for the same things. We used to fight because we believed in the straight and narrow. And when I saw him with Heenan, I knew it was jealousy, greed, the money, something had gotten to him, you know. But when he pulled the shirt, man, when he ripped the cross off my chest, he didn't just tear it off. He dug in and tore my heart out, man. Tommy, name that feud. Come on, you're not gonna you're not gonna insult me and actually think that I don't know that. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. <laughs> Mr. 80s wrestling has gone two for two. There's three promos left in the chamber. Tommy, are you ready? I'm ready. Where, where's your confidence level at at this point in the game? Oh, I think you're gonna get a little tricky with me, so I don't know, man. All right, here we go. Clip number three. We started out at the same level, brother, the same pinnacle as partners. My little hucksters gave you everything, man. They gave you their love. They gave you their dedication. You got power. You took courage from them to beat all odds, man. We based our love on the three demandments of the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. But you threw it all away, man. You couldn't function as a team with me, man. You're the one that was jealous, jealousy that turned into a cancer. Ooh, somebody threw it all away, and I bet Tommy knows who. Tommy, who's that feud? Oh, yeah. Macho Man. Tommy is three for three in naming the (laughs) Hogan feud based on clips, snippets of hoaxer promos. We have two left. If Tommy, if you can name them both, man, you ran the gauntlet. Are you ready? (laughs) Let's try it, man. Clip number four. 
Me and all my Hulkamaniacs have had it right about up to here with all your Frankenstein talk, man. We're tired of hearing you grovel for words. We're tired of watching you search for thoughts, brother. And I'm tired of hearing you talk about injecting all of my Hulkamaniacs with a poison, brother, that'll turn them into the darkness and make them run from the light. Ooh, that one might be a little trickier for you, Tommy. Any idea who Hogan is talking about? Oh, man. That's that's a real, 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 real tricky one. It's an I, obscure first, flip. I had to dig deep for it. At first, I was going to say warrior, but when he's talking about injecting poison, then I knew that it, it wasn't warrior. Man, that's a real – I think you're going to stump me on this one. Uh, if I, It could be any – heal really because he didn't even drop any hints of anything other than I don't know I'm, I'm going to go on a limb I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to probably be wrong on this one uh, Ted DiBiase <laughs> dude <laughs> oh the buzzer just keeps going I'm, I'm excited <laughs> listen I will tell you this it's not DiBiase, but you didn't really get it wrong because you should have trusted your gut, my man. That was one of the promos he cut on the Warrior. So you were oh, absolutely I'm right. You I'm were right. right. Give, me, give me the bell. Give me the bell again. Well, judges, can we give him the bell? Come on. I said Warrior first. There's the bell. You did say Warrior. When you said Warrior, my eyes got big. And then you said, but I'm going to go with somebody else. So yeah, it was the warrior. All right, you we always, have one. Always What's go that? your always go with your gut the first time. Trust your gut, my man. All right, we have the last promo queued up, ready to go. This is the longest one. It's 38 seconds. It's an awesome promo. I watched the whole thing is probably two minutes long. And when I watched it to download the clip, like let me tell you something. There's nothing better than a Hogan's 80s promo. Like, it will get you pumped up and ready to face the day. I don't know what made him so good, um, but Hogan was the king of them back in the day. This is a good one, but again, it's just a 38-second clip from it. Tommy, guess the feud. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here at SummerSlam, Brutus the Barber Beefcake and the World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan. You know something mean, Gene? Ever since me and the barber hooked up, we've been hanging and banging, brother. And we also been riding our Harley Davidsons through a lot of heavy traffic, dude. But on the way to the Meadowlands today, when we hit the George Washington Bridge, it was at a standstill. So me and the barber, we just looked at each other, brother, and we decided to head for the water, brother. We headed for the Henry Hudson River, and just like Moses parted the Red Sea, that's exactly what happened when the pythons started heading for the river. Tommy, name that feud. The Conquistadors. (laughs) I was there, man. I was there live. I just said a little while ago. It was Savage and, and Zeus. Listen, as I was re-watching that clip as it was playing, I saw a little young Tommy Fierro in the background, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's no fair. You were there live and in person. But, yeah, what a feud and what a promo. Tommy, just tell me, what does it do to you when you hear, even a little bit, 
of a classic Hogan promo from the 80s. Brings back my childhood. Nostalgia, man. You can't beat it, right? You can't put a price on it. It takes you right back to where you were. And that's why we love the golden age of professional wrestling. That's why we love the 80s. That's why Tommy has been able to take a passion of his that is a passion shared by a lot of people all around the globe, 80s wrestling, and Tommy's been able to take that passion and turn it into something much more. Tommy, it's been an honor to sit here and talk Hogan feuds with you. I'm so excited for the things that are to come for you and for what you're doing with 80s wrestling. One more time before we sign off, tell us a little something about what we have to look forward to in 2021. Well, thanks for the kind words, Jane. And I'm I'm excited to do this podcast with you every week. I think it's going to be real fun to just, you know, go back to our childhood and talk about all these classic superstars and angles and moments that took place. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what our topic's going to be next week. I'll let you pick the topic for next week. Uh, but I'm excited for it, man. It's fun to sit down and reminisce about the glory days of pro wrestling. So uh, that's one of our 2021 uh, highlights is going to be doing this podcast each and every week. But yeah, the wrestlingcollector.com, the online store is open now. The storefront in New Jersey will be opened up in the next month or two. We'll keep you posted with updates on that here weekly on the 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Uh, also, we're doing the 80s Wrestling Virtual Signing Series. Continues on Monday, March the 25th with IRS Mike Rotundo. And we're doing those twice a month. And uh, just keep plugging along, man. And you can follow us on social media. On Instagram, it's at 80s Wrestling. On Twitter, it's at 80s Wrestling underscore. On Facebook, it's 80s Wrestling and uh, like I said earlier, combined, we have over a half a million followers between all our social media platforms and just keeps growing every day, man. And I think it's because of what you said, uh, so many people out there um, share the same passion and love that we do uh, growing up in that time frame in that era. And they'll never die out long before, long after all those guys are gone, those memories and moments, they will last forever. And we will talk about them right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. That's right. For Tommy Fierro, my name is Jay. Thank you for joining us. And if you take one thing away from today, just remember, storytelling matters. See you next week.